Before we read our text, I want to just take a moment to think about our salvation. What takes place when we're saved? You you think of the wandering away that all of us were doing. The Bible tells us that that the intent of our heart was evil continually. The Bible tells us that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. The the Bible tells us that, that none of us were seeking after him, that we hate the light. We love darkness and we hate the light. And that's where, that's where all of us were. Every, every last one of us was in that place. And to think of the grace and the mercy and the love and the kindness of our God to go after us. He did that. He went after you. He tells us that he does that. He tells us that before... He ever created anything, he knew you. When you were in your mother's womb, he knew you, called you unto himself to be his people. The Holy Spirit working in your heart to bring you to salvation, to take eyes that are blind and just cause them to be able to see hearts that are hard like a rock and making them soft to be able to be receptive to hear the good news of the gospel. The sweetness of his Holy Spirit drawing us and the preaching of the word going forward. His faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That God's word was that which he used as this powerful two-edged sword that just pierced your heart and brought you unto him for salvation. To, To think that he is the one that began that good work in you and he will be the one to finish it. To be saved by faith and by faith alone, not by works, lest anybody should boast, the Bible tells us. It's a gift that comes from God. It's, it's us saying we believe. We believe that we're sinners. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins. And, and he takes our sins upon himself and he gives us his righteousness. He died and he rose again and he is forever our eternal God. And to be able to know that it is through faith in him and faith in him alone that we are saved. That there's this awakening that takes place where the Bible, we look at it as we're regenerated, we're made alive, we're changed, we're made new creations in Christ. The old ways are gone and they become new to where you who were once a sinner, once who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ to where now you are a part of his family. You're sealed. It's, it's guaranteed until the day of redemption for all eternity. He tells you things like that. He tells you that he holds you in his hand. And the Father who's greater than all holds you in his hand. There's no one that can snatch you away. And that you have an inheritance that's incorruptible. And it's undefiled. And it doesn't fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you. And it's kept by the very power of God until the day of salvation. Just words that we hear as far as the greatness of our God and what our salvation is. That makes us so that we are in a place of... Just adoring him for his grace. Made alive. Made his children. Made his bride. Everything that we had ever done that was an offense against God. Every sin that we had ever committed is hurled into the depths of the sea. And he doesn't remember them anymore. It was paid for by the very precious blood of Christ who is the Lamb of God that was slain so that we could be saved. It's our salvation. One in which it is all by grace. And not only that, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. 
He gives us the Holy Spirit and he places his Holy Spirit within us. And he begins to mold us and to change us, to conform us into the very image of God. He makes it so that the things that we used to love changes our affections away from those things and towards the things of God. He causes fruit to come out of our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. The things that we used to do, he, he just makes it so that we no longer desire those things in the same way. And when we sin and when we fall short, we hate the sin and we confess it and we repent. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he continues to forgive us. And he tells us where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And we know that we're living in this place of grace, even though we're sinners, even though we fall There's still grace that's there. And then he starts working in us and there's fruit that starts coming out of our lives. And and we start shining as a light, but not produced by our own selves, but produced by the light of all lights. And that is Christ who works in us and causes us to be salt, causes us to be light, causes fruit to come out of our lives. We just abide in him and there's fruit that comes from us abiding in the vine and we see fruit come from our lives and we don't take the glory for it. It all belongs to him. He works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he does it all from beginning to end as far as our salvation is concerned, bringing us to the very end, which we will spend eternity with him in glory, giving him all the glory for what he's accomplished for us in this life. It's incredible when you think about our salvation. The joy of knowing that it's not by works, not by our own product of what we're able to produce for him to earn it but it is simply by faith and believing in jesus our christ our lord our god who died for us the cross and so jesus is here in john chapter 12 and he's in that last week of his life getting ready to go to the cross he tells them in in verse 11 I'm sorry, in verse um, 23. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come. Now is the time that the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Now is the time in which there is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now is the time that it's a final week in Christ's life in which he is going to be betrayed and he is going to be scourged and he is going to be taken to the cross and he's going to die on the cross for our sins so he says to the disciples in verse 24 most assuredly truly truly this is something that you could absolutely know for sure i say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone but if it If it dies, it produces much grain. This grain of wheat. This grain of wheat that's there at the top of the the wheat sack and and comes to a place of falling off and dying. Falls to the ground. But if it dies, it's there for comes to a place of being buried and it produces it produces much grain start looking at how God has created everything and it's it's interesting when you start looking at the way in which God created things 
There's pine cones that are on these gigantic trees. And sometimes they're only opened up when there's a fire that comes. Sometimes they open up, and I, I remember being a little kid. I could just, I could picture it today. I wish I had some, I wish I could do it for you, but I can't. You have to imagine it. But I remember the pastor taking these little seeds that came from the pine cone. And, and he threw them up in the air, and they kind of just like shot all over the place. Because of the way that they were shaped. They were shaped in such a way that they just would go away from the tree. Or the pine cones will fall and roll away and then they'll open up sometimes and, and, and they, they go away from the base of the tree. But he talked about how these, they would open up and it would just like shoot and, 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 and go in different directions. And then you'd see little pine trees, trees popping up from wherever that seed had landed. But the way in which God created to where you have a seed and it comes to a place where that seed falls to the ground, dies. And as a result of it is this fruit that comes. I mean, as far as the harvest of wheat, it comes from these seeds that fall to the ground and die. And it becomes the next harvest of, of wheat for the, for the following year. And God creating it and doing it in, in such a way that we're, we're to just picture Christ and what he's done. We look at this verse and we see Christ, don't we? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And Christ is about to go to the cross and he is going to die. And as a result of his death, everything changes for us. Everything changes for us. He takes the full wrath of God upon himself. The wages of sin, he takes it all upon himself. He who is without sin becomes sin for us so that we will never have to pay the price for our sin. We'll never have to experience God's wrath ever again. Well, there's no condemnation for us because of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. So Jesus is telling them that this must happen. But it also relates to us as well. Because he goes from there to say in verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. These are powerful words in which the Lord has spoken. The tendency for us is to immediately have it go into our mind. Like, oh, well, he probably doesn't mean it just like that. I love my life. I love it. I love all of it. I love everything. I love it. We're supposed to love our life. It's depressing to think of hating our lives. We're supposed to love our lives. Um, it's interesting when you look into the original languages in this particular section. Um, we know that, that when, it, when it says here that Anyone who loves his life. The first word that is used is different than the one in reference to eternal life. The first one refers to the life of the mind. Um, or the, the ego. Our personality. Our plans. Our futures. Everything that is there as far as what we look at. Is in, in, and see this is, this is what our, our life is. My ego. All the things that matter to me most in this life. The following word is used as far as Zoe, which is meaning eternal life. Life that is given from God. 
And so God here, as he's speaking, he says, he who loves his life will lose it. He who loves his life as far as his ego, his plans, his future, all of the things as far as like, this is, this is my life. This is when you look at and you put your name there. This is what people see. They see my life. They see all that I've accomplished, all that I've done, all that my reputation is, all of these things. And, and Jesus is saying, if you love your life like that, you're going to lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Then he says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now this whole idea of he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life, this is something that is spoken of in other passages in Scripture as well. The, the different gospel accounts talk about this very thing as far as he who loves his life will lose it. And so I want to dig in deeper this morning and look and see. And let's, let's try to wrap our brains around what is God saying here when he says this. Turn with me for a moment to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. If you don't have Bibles with you, you're going to need them. So there's some that are underneath the pews and on a little shelf that is hard to find unless you reach down. So find your, your Bibles in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. Here our Lord says this, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So we find a similar passage there in, in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus is giving more detail with this and hits right at the heart of kind of where most of us are. We love mom and dad. We love our family. We love son and daughter. We love them. But Jesus is, is speaking something in, in which he's looking at it saying, if you love these things, where this is your love, this is your affection, this is your life, this is all that matters to you is, is mom, dad, son, daughter. This is where you're at. Everything is geared towards that. Jesus is saying, they're not worthy of me. They're not worthy of me. You see, in our minds, we're, we get in this, this little bubble here in which what matters is our current circumstances and what matters is is well hopefully the health is here and things are perfect here and all of this is good and life is good if 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 family is good if 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 parents are good if kids are good if circumstances are good if this is good everything's good and jesus is saying if that's where your heart is if that's where your love is if that's what matters to you more than anything else you're not you're not worthy of me because the reason he says that is he's higher than that. 
He is the one in whom creates all things. He's the one who speaks things into existence. He's the one that controls all things. There's not a bird that falls to the ground apart from his will. He is the one in whom has called you, has saved you, has died on the cross for you, given you the Holy Spirit. You'll spend eternity with him, praising him. And this salvation that we have isn't simply God, family, country, in which he kind of maybe fits in there someplace. But he's kind of, you know, the foundation that none of us ever think about. But what we do think about is the other things in this life that we look at is like, these are the things that matter most to us. This is an incredible calling to his lordship in our lives, his lordship. He says, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who doesn't take his cross, meaning this cross in which you die on yourself, you die, you yourself die on that. The old man died on that. You yourself, you say, I'm no longer myself. I've been bought with a price. I belong to him. I'm going to take this cross and I'm going to follow him. Jesus is saying, "If, if, if that's not where you're at, you're not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a call to just radical lordship of Christ. I don't, I don't, I don't want to soften these things because he says it over and over again. And I think he means what he says when he says these things over and over again. I know he does. I know that when he's looking at us and he's saying, okay, I've saved you. This salvation is such a salvation in which he has worked in us to where he is our Lord and he is our God and we desire to follow him. Back in the, um, I don't know, when I was a kid, there was this thing called, this controversy called Lordship Salvation in which you had this, this debate that was taking place in which um, Charles Ryrie was one of the ones that was big on um, a non-lordship position. John MacArthur really took a hard position on lordship salvation and wrote a, a book called um, The Gospel According to Jesus. Thank you. And um, became like a big, a big controversy in, and debate amongst evangelicals at that time. And so you'll hear people that will say things like, well, I became a Christian when I was, you know, seven. But Christ, he didn't become the Lord of my life until... I was 25 or 45 or whatever it is. And so that was the kind of normal talk that people had. I became a Christian at this point, And then he became the Lord of my life at this point. As if, as if you could take him as my savior, but not take him as my Lord. And so you said the prayer when you were seven. But you didn't actually start following him as your Lord until you were however many years older. And and MacArthur took a hard position as far as like, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, is you follow him as the Lord of your life. You can't say, I want this part of you, but not this part of you. I think you grow in following him as Lord. But you can't say like this easy believism, like, okay, I said a prayer back then. I'm good. Now I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And maybe later on, I'll follow him as my Lord too. Um, I think verses like this scream that, 
He's Lord of our lives, doesn't it? You look at this and, and he's saying, take up your cross and follow after me. If you don't, you're not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Meaning, me, I'm gone. I, I, I'm, I don't belong to myself anymore. You saved me. You purchased me with your precious blood. Therefore, I follow you. I want to follow you. I bring this up because I, I, I find it to be so important for us. I, I, I look at our congregation and I think that I don't ever want it to be where someone sits here every week, thinks that they're a believer because they go to church, thinks that they're a believer because they said a prayer at some point, even though their lives don't reflect any fruit in them as far as something that has been changed by an incredible work of God that has made you a new creation in Christ and now the Holy Spirit's in you and he's convicting you of sin and bringing you to repentance and and he's bringing you to a place of desiring to follow him and more and more and growing and then having fruit come out of your life. My prayer is that nobody would be in a place of being unbelievers and being here, but you would be faced with God's word to say, I don't know that that's me. I don't think that's me. I think I need to get saved. I think I need to call out for him just to save me because my affections and the way that I live does not look anything remotely close to this. Everything is about me. Everything's about me. Everything's about feeding my flesh, doing what I want to do, doing whatever's right in my own eyes, being in a place of, I don't care what God says. I don't care about anything else. I'm going to do what I want to do. I know God says this, but I don't really care. I'm going to do it like this. That kind of living, that kind of mentality with no grief for your sin and no desire to repent, no desire to follow after him is a very dangerous place to be. And you can say, I grew up in a Christian home. I always go in church. I, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. But the fruit of your belief would fall into that category in James where God says, even the demons believe and they tremble. It's a belief that says, oh yeah, I believe that God exists. Yeah, I believe that all these things happen. But when you look at it, he's saying, have you lost your life? In the sense, have you given your life to him? He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is your God. He is the one in whom you follow. Look with me again at Matthew 16. Turn just a few chapters further on to Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus says here, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He who, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What does a profit a man if he gains the whole world but he loses his soul? And it goes right back to the same thing. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus put it into reality, like if your God is stuff and your God is your own self and you're driven by yourself and you don't have a heart for the things of God and you do whatever is right in your own eyes and you live in such a way in which... He is not your Lord. The question is, is what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is it? The same things mentioned in, in Mark 8. But it closes with this by saying in verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words 
is this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. If you're ashamed of him, if you say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to kind of live like this undercover life where nobody really knows what I'm a Christian and I'm going to live like I want to live and I'm going to do the things. And if, as you've maybe heard before, if Christianity was illegal here, there'd be no evidence against you that you were actually a Christian. Because you just live like you want to live and you're ashamed of him. There's no desire to proclaim the gospel. There's no desire to say, like, I will not do that because God says this. But you're always caving into what does the world say? What does the world say? What does the world say? What's the world's affections towards? I'll do those things. I'll look like the world. I'll dance like the world. I'll do all the things that the world does. Turn with me for a moment to Luke 17 and verse 24. Luke 17, verse 24. It's talking about the second coming of Christ. And, and it says in Luke 17, 24, For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under the heaven and shines the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. You just read that for a moment and just... It's, it's saying that they were just going about their lives. They were doing their lives. They're eating, they're drinking, they're getting married, they're doing everything. But is God the center of anything that they're doing? No. They're just doing their things. They're living their lives. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I do all the right things. I'm eating, I'm drinking, I'm getting married. I'm, you know, these are the things that I'm doing. And, and God says they got destroyed. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, verse 30. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus says. They got all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, when that day comes, don't... Don't go and try to go get all of your stuff. Don't be consumed with stuff, with your own life, with your own psyche, with the things that you think identify you. He says, remember Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? Lot's wife, they're running, they're leaving, they're leaving Sodom. And what does she do? She turns back and God said, don't turn back. Do not do that. She turns back and looks back towards her life with longing eyes towards her life. And what happens? She becomes a pillar of salt immediately. Immediately. And so you look at this and, and he's, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. She was in love with the stuff of the world. She's going in a direction as Lot's trying to lead her away from that. And she just turns back, no, 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 I want that. I don't want God, what God wants, I want that. Was God in any way the Lord of her life? No, it was stuff, it was things, it was the world. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, once again. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. 
and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. This is real. This is an account. This is these people who are there and God saying, I'll tell you the truth. One person is going to be there. There'll be two people that are there. One's taken, the other's left. They're in their bed. One's taken, the other's left. Why? Because there's no genuine salvation in the other that's left. Their affections are all towards the things of this world, towards themselves. They've never said, here's my life, Lord, all of it, take it. You died on the cross for me. I believe in you. And there's this work that's taken place in which you have just radically transformed me to where my affections are towards you now. Now, for you as a believer, this isn't a matter of, have I died enough to my flesh? Have I died enough to the things of the world? Am I pursuing Christ enough? Am I not consumed with the stuff of the world? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? That's not the point of any of this. It's not whether we've done enough. It is, if you are a believer... God's going to work in your heart on a morning like today where you look and you may have come into a place of lukewarmness. You may be coming to a place where you're kind of pulled by some of the affections of the world, but you're looking and saying like, ah, I don't want any of it. I don't want to be consumed with that stuff. I want to be consumed with my Lord. I want to be consumed with the things of the kingdom. I want to please him. I want to do those things that honor him. I want to repent of sin in which is just swallowing me up. I want to do it God's way, not my way, because my way leads to destruction, but God's way is the right way and leads to eternal life. I want to do it his way. And so your affections are towards him. I want to repent of those things, God, and I want to pursue the things that you call me towards. And that is something that is not the work of your own willpower it's a result of christ in you that does that that's constantly molding you and conforming you into his image he does that he works that know that when it says have that that, that you've died to yourself you've died to that that life you've lost your life in that sense that is what has happened to the believer galatians 5 24 and those who are christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires when christ died on that cross You died with him. Those passions, those sins, that flesh died with him. The desires. When you died on that, when when Christ died on that cross, Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. So I died, I, I died. When he died, I died. The law was taken care of because he fulfilled all righteousness. That's what happened. Galatians 6, 14, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I I died with him. That's what happened. It happened in salvation. Galatians 6, let me just read it to you for the sake of time. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace might abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. Because it has happened. It has happened. You died with him. Therefore, there's newness of life that takes place. Therefore, he is the Lord of your life. You have lost your life because it died with him to where now you follow him. That's what's happened. I read this to you and I say these things to you, these passages, because I want you to know that you're saved. 
I want you to have assurance of your salvation. I want you to be sitting here this morning saying, I am convicted by sin. I do desire the things of God. I do want his kingdom, not my own kingdom. I, I don't want it to be where I'm living for my life and God has this tiny little place where like, I just kind of think about him every once in a while. I want it to be where my life is his. I belong to him. My affections are towards him. And I want you to be there saying, like, God, I hate my sin. I hate when I go towards the world. Bring me towards you. And that heart does not happen apart from Christ in you. It just doesn't. So I pray there would be great confidence for us as believers. But for those that just are living for the stuff of the world with no remorse, with no sin, with no, or with no repentance of their sin, I pray that, uh, that today would be the day of salvation for you. That today would be the day. But also in Romans chapter 6, as it goes on and talks about us being dead to the world and dead to the law and crucified with Christ. There's this calling that goes out where it says, Likewise, verse 11, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon that. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. See yourselves as being dead to sin. Recognize that this is what happened. You were crucified with Christ. Your life is not your own. It was purchased by him. There's newness of life now, and you're walking with him. Reckon yourselves to be in that place. And there is a need for us to also die daily in this life. It has happened through Christ. We are saved by him. We've been made new creations by him. We've been sealed into the day of redemption by him. But at the same time, God help us to be people who die daily, daily. Let me read a passage to you. It comes from Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 where he says to all of them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and he and is himself destroyed or lost. Daily. I'm going to close with an illustration about a man named George Mueller. George Mueller lived um, in the 1800s. He lived from 1805 to 1898. He started orphanages saw that there was a great need for that. He never asked for money. He just prayed. He prayed that God would provide everything that they needed. He prayed that, people would, that God would put it upon people's hearts like you this morning to say, like, I think that there is a need for this, and I'm going to give. He never asked for money. It just, he prayed. He prayed that God would work in people's hearts to treasure the things of God more than the stuff of this world and to be those that freely gave. So he did. He prayed. Came to a point of, of, of having 2,000 boys and girls living in different houses near Bristol, England. 2,000. Never asked for a dime. God provided 2,000 boys and girls in these different orphanages. A life that was so fruitful as far as what came out of it. But listen to what he said. When asked about the secret of his effective service, 
When asked about the secret of why is your life fruitful, this is what he said. Quote, there was a day when I died. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world. It's approval or censor. Died to the approval or blame of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's his answer. Why do you have a fruitful life? Because there was a day when George Mueller died. He died. And there was a day when you put your name in there. You died. But my question is, is, can we say this? There was a day when I died. My opinions, my preferences, my taste, my will. I died to the world, its approval or censor. I died to the approval or blame of my brethren or friends. And since then, I've studied only to show myself approved unto God. There was a day when I died. And now, what, it matter, what matters is, God, are you pleased by this? Are you honored by this? You are my Lord. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what my family thinks. I don't care about, I want to please you only. That's who I want to please. I don't want to live for my taste and my preferences and my will. I don't want to live for those things anymore. I don't want to live for my own opinion. I don't want to live for these things. I want to die to the world and I want to live unto God. I want to take my life and I want it to be just radically transformed to where All of it belongs to you. All of it does. And if I am not there, please work that in me. And that is my prayer for us this morning. My prayer for us this morning is that for me and for you, that you would look at your life and that there would not be anything in it in which you would say, I would die to all of those things except for this one thing right over here. I want to keep that. I want to make sure that I get to keep this. You, God, you can have everything else but just not this area right here because I, I want that. I pray that we would be in such a place of it's all yours, God, all of it, every bit of it. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my God. You created all things, and I will spend eternity with you. You've given me the Holy Spirit, and you've given me this great salvation. I'm not my own. I'm no longer my own. I belong to you. I died. May you live in me. And let's see what God does in our hearts. Let's see what God does in our church. Let's see what God does for his glory when we hear his words and hear him call us towards these things and may we see him work mightily through that. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. A calling for us to no longer love our life, a calling for us to serve you, to follow you, to be in a place where we're serving you and your Father honors us and you get all the glory for it, Lord. I pray that that would take place in us, Lord. If there's areas of our lives in which there's just great sin and we just hold on to that and we're not willing to give it up, May we lose our life, lose it, just lose those things, not desire those things and pursue you wholeheartedly. We died with you, Lord. We were raised with you. 
You've given us a salvation, which is not based upon our works, but based upon what you've done in us, Lord. And we pray that you would just work mightily in us. We thank you for causing us to die with you, but we also ask for your great help and abilities to daily die to ourselves and desire to follow you and pursue you with every ounce that is within us. May there be a great number of George Mueller's here this morning. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.